you're going to boot up this patch and then you're going to shit your pants right off of your body. Yep. Yeah. Uh, because it's, it's, it's pretty good. Which actually, so, you know, you can get, <laughs> Levelhead, you can get good. on mobile. So just get it on your phone first and then boot it up from the yeah, toilet. Just get on the bathroom. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. When you, when you download the patch, get into the bathroom. <laughs> Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 259 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm a disembodied voice. I'm Sam. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is May 17th, 20 Blendy. And before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be explicit content in this yep. podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. That just means swears. Uh, swears and used the sounds as, of nudity, I believe, as we've discussed in many episodes. Yeah. You're going to hear it. It's in no, there. It's in there. <laughs> just, just the thought <laughs> of it we, grosses uh, me out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, like, nudity, like, nudity itself does not gross me out, but the sound of nudity. <laughs> there's something. Yeah, nobody, nobody wants that. No, that's mm-hmm. not good. Actually, no, somebody probably was. That, but we're <laughs> yeah. not providing it, unfortunately. Uh, we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. We got some uh, some messages through there. So Specchio says, looking forward to Levelhead's next update. Hope that it's successful enough to warrant updates long into the future and until you make Levelhead 2. Note, this is definitely not a bribe to give preference to my feed bags. Mm. Smiley face. So Seems I like think it might be. Mm-hmm. Might be. But we'll just interpret it at face value. So... Perfect. Yes, but, I'm glad it's uh, not a bribe. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for the donation. Also, we have uh, one from Rimslin who says, long-time listener, first-time money offerer, bought on iOS and Steam. Congrats. Thank you very thank much. You, thanks. So this was somebody who like bought the game multiple times and then said, "This is I haven't lost enough money. I yep. need to. <laughs> mm-hmm. I need to make up the difference. Are they, maybe they, gotta, maybe they stole it on both those platforms and then paid us to make up for their crimes. Ooh, there you go. That's also possible. Could be. Um, we also got a silent donation from Faye C. So this is like the opposite of an anonymous donation with a message. This is a person with a name but no message. Mm-hmm. So which I think it is, is in itself a statement of some sort. It is. It's <laughs> it's kind of like silently walking past the uh, the the bar counter and just dunking a tip in there and walking yeah. away without making eye contact. You know, while wearing a name tag <laughs> yeah. that, you, that you conspicuously show to the bartender as you walk by. Yeah, it's just like that. Yeah. Super uh, <laughs> exactly. relatable. <laughs> yeah. You know that that real world you know, experience we all have all that, the time. That one. Yeah, that common that. scenario. I've seen it tons of times. Uh, we also have recurring supporters who donate monthly, so thank you to those folks as well. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna keep things a little bit light this week in in just like general discussion. Um, and I think we're gonna put a lot of time into questions. So uh, so before we do that, though, we'll just go right into studio news. So let's talk about Levelhead. Levelhead. Mm-hmm. It has now uh, blown past the hundred thousand players mark. So mm-hmm. we're very excited about that. Um, I don't know if we have anything specific to say about it, but that's nice. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's nice. Uh, we've got more countries going red, as we say, which is, you know, individual crunch, countries. Is red the thousand the, person? Red is the 10,000 person. 10,000. 10, what, yeah. what countries have crossed that threshold? So the so UK far? has crossed it, uh, as well as the US. The US was first, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. 
UK and then Brazil probably will cross it within the next day or two, I would imagine. So it's very Brazil's close. gonna go red. Um and we'd also like to give a shout out to um both Specchio and Sleepy for accumulating over a thousand followers in level head. It's pretty red. Um so this is kind of funny because it introduced a new problem that we kind of knew would be there, but we didn't think about it that hard, which is uh, people often publish levels to test them. So they'll, mm-hmm. they'll publish a level and then drop a message in the Discord or something and be like, hey, guys, I just made this level. and Could a couple people play it and give me some feedback before I go promote it? Mm-hmm. You know, um, But when you have a thousand followers um, – as soon as you publish it, they all get notified. And before you can even blink, you've had already like 30, 40 people playing the level and it's on its way to graduating and it's starting mm-hmm. to get tips and all kinds of stuff. So uh, so one of the things we're working – or that, that I've uh, added for this upcoming patch is the ability to not send notifications when you publish your level. So there's nice. a toggle. You can you can flip that off so you can mm-hmm. just silently publish levels. And can you also publish it hidden like – Right it's into sort the, of the equivalent the unlisted state. It's sort of the equivalent uh, for doing that. No, you can you can delist it if you want, but um, if nobody gets notified, nobody will really really see it. You know, um, True. but yeah, it's kind of a funny uh, side effect. And then otherwise, we've we've spent a, a, a more time than I really would have liked um, battling uh, botters. Yeah, which has been. It's very exciting, I think. Yeah, uh, and it, it's you know it's something we talked about in the past, which is like any game with an economy, which we have with exposure bucks. Um, any game with an economy or currency of any, any kind, any game like with that, incentives, which is yeah, you know. is is you're going to have people coming in and um, trying to shortcut in such a way that they don't have to do any work or or even participate in the game in a meaningful way, but still get the the results. Mm-hmm. And um, for the most part, who cares? The, yeah, the problem if it's is not, this impacts, or it, the problem is when this impacts other players. Yeah, yeah. and so so we had we had quite a few uh, folks in the Discord and stuff, you know, coming out and being like, "Hey, what's going on? Like, there's this handful of people who just like have so many exposure bucks, and all they're publishing is just the same green one star level over and over again. It doesn't make any sense. Um, that's true. It doesn't make any sense. It was very. <laughs> I was very obvious." What was happening? Yeah. There. So, well, there's also a really uh, good rule that we are able to follow with this stuff, which is that hackers, people who are who are taking advantage of the system, are just they're never elegant about the approach. It's always very much a a a hammer sort of taken to the to whatever the situation is. And so with these people, yeah, I was like publishing the exact same level over and over and over again, mm-hmm. uh, amassing tremendous amounts of. Ex- it's not just like like slightly suspicious, where you're like, is this person just playing a lot? Or no, it's so obvious. Yeah, We're on so the bot obvious. side too, if you because because it's actually a pain in the ass to set up bot accounts because they actually have to play the game and do the whole thing, right? So, so you can't have very many bots because you need a kind of a running copy of the game for each bot that you have, right? So, so that meant also that on the flip side, we just needed to find all the bots, which are those those also players. Obvious. They're also obvious because they're making just enormous amounts of exposure bucks that are far more than a, any normal user would possibly be making. Because they're just twenty four seven basically playing these bot levels, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So yeah, so it's very easy to detect. Which I don't know, to me, that's, which it's, is it's actually yeah. part of the frustration and the annoyance is just like at least now we have effort into now it. we have to do all this like <laughs> now we have to do all this work to like identify these players and find something to do about yeah. them and 
and and all for just annoying, uninteresting. Yeah. You know, just, just well, this is why. this is part of the. It's it's an interesting challenge that, that I, I think we really underestimated um, what this would look like because we spent so much time focusing on moderation of like, mm-hmm. how do we make sure that we have tools to uh, identify offensive content or people with like bad uh, usernames and stuff like that. But we actually didn't didn't go through and, and think like how would people bot mm-hmm. like how would they how would they set up automated systems to just sort of break the game's economy to their own advantage um, and how would we detect that stuff and well I mean we detect it now but uh, but yeah it turns out that was it, the much more likely scenario really in this yeah. particular game case which is kind of fun yeah and, and honestly if anybody's ever played um, like an MMO or anything like that I mean it's botting is 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 a thing that that companies are constantly fighting against. I remember dur- during the heyday of this um in World of Warcraft, I think it was like about 2012, 2013 when it was really bad um before Blizzard really like developed more sophisticated tools to detect it. I joined a 15 versus 15 uh battlegrounds, so it was 15 on 15 players, and I was the only person. <laughs> and I could I could tell because because all of the bot oh people God. All the people who were botting were using the same script because, of course, as we just said, people are not subtle or smart yeah. about this. Well, um, no, I mean, botters aren't botters are not people who make their own tools on average. There's, there's right. They there's just like take a person who makes a tool, and then almost all botters. And this is true for hackers too, right? Yeah. Uh, almost all hack quote unquote hackers are just people who found a script that somebody else wrote, and they're using that. Yeah, and so so what I saw in this in this match was like both teams, uh, all fifteen players except for me would would run following the exact same path and they would just run in a group between two PVP nodes not not ever and they never targeted each other they never fired a shot they never used any spells they just ran back and forth in a cluster uh it's it's very eerie to see but but again like <laughs> it but it's 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 stupid because it it breaks the whole game for everybody else um such that it's kind of like that, you know, taking a grain of sand off the beach problem. Yeah. Right? Like you doing it alone doesn't hurt anything. But if everybody behaved like you, then the it game just, is, it literally is destroys everything. Yeah. It, goes it destroys the game and then your whole reason for botting is gone because you were doing this to get an advantage in the ecosystem of this. This game, is actually kind of a good right? model to to fall back on when you're trying to ask like what what should the rules be of things that you are or are not that players are are and are not allowed to do? And if you think of it from that perspective where you say, what would – if all players did this, how bad would it be, right? And if you use that as your metric for for mm-hmm. what things you should not allow, that's probably not – that's probably a good place to start. Yeah. Or even like if most players did this, how bad would it be for the players who aren't doing it? Yes, yep. That's the big one. Right. Um, yeah. So, so, we, so that, that's been interesting. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we, we've developed a bunch of systems over the past week. We've, we've, of course, as a small team, we've had to divert development resources into that instead of – other things that we would like to be doing to bring value to the entire player base. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still the case that detecting and getting rid of these people also brings value. So that's, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, just a so, different kind. So uh, we have still been able to make significant progress on the first level head content patch, which is I hope, I hope all of our players are wearing their brown pants because, <laughs> because this patch – 
It's gonna be it's gonna be good. <laughs> you mean you hope they're wearing those pants when they boot up the patch when it comes when out they boot up the patch undefined unknown distant future. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're gonna boot up this patch and then you're gonna shit your pants right off of your body. Yep, yep. Uh, because it's, it's it's pretty good. Which actually, so, you know, you can get <laughs> levelhead. You can get on mobile, so just get it on your phone first and then boot it up from. The oh, yeah, just get on the bathroom. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. When you when you download the patch. Get into the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> get on level head get on your phone. First. Yeah. Um, so, so we're not gonna. We've decided we're gonna keep this thing largely under wraps, with the exception of the things that are trickling out through the the patch notes. But um, which themselves like, are largely under wraps because they are incoherent and confusing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the things that that we can talk about a little bit uh, in this podcast episode for the patch is the canoodle. So yes. this is an enemy that has been lurking in the in the code of the game. Yeah, so players so, have already seen because players have been like looking at the texture files and stuff in the game, and so people have seen it. I think even a few players it's in the box found art. ways to unlock like, it um, by yeah. by misbehaving in the game. Um, yes, as they are wont to do. Yep. <laughs> um, and so so we've been kind of revisiting like the the big problem with the canoodle was it, it its original concept was it's an enemy that. Walks back and forth. When it detects that you are near, it enters sort of like aggressive combat mode, and it slaps the ground with its noodly arms, lunges at you. Then it goes into basically siege tank mode, puts slaps its noodle arms onto the ground to brace itself. Its back turns into a cannon, shoots a and barrage then it of fires <laughs> a barrage of bullets. Okay, so it's a lot going on. If you are parsing this description. Then it should be intuitively obvious why this is not in the game because that's a lot. Yeah, it turned out it was you put one of those things, in a, even a tiny one, in a level. It's it a boss. Just, it was a boss fight. Yeah, that was tiny, and then you'd make a big one, and it's just it would rain even more projectiles. The whole thing was just madness, and we really got yeah when we're when we're leading up to so we, the canoodle's actually been in in that form since before early access, or I think maybe shortly. It after. was there before our uh, Nintendo Switch announcement, even. Yeah, in, so it's, uh, it's actually in, been in there for a very long time. But of course, it was one of those things that um, I think we, you know, we we did a we've done a number of interesting things as far as how we developed Levelhead, and one of them was sort of before we we really knew what small batch meant in a lot of ways. Uh, we developed actually all of the enemies sort of in one big go, and the problem with that approach is that it doesn't let you learn from the previous enemy exactly what really you should. Put in next because or of from it other new things in the game, right? Because yeah. now, now the game state was the same at the time that all enemies were developed versus having one at the beginning, <clears throat> developing other aspects of the game for three months, adding another one. Exactly. Context. Yeah. yeah. And so what ended up happening was that, is, and we've gotten this, this comment from some of our players, that a lot of the enemies, they, they're very mm-hmm. intense. Like most of them are very intense. In fact, we added the scrub and the ocula, which are basically the dumbest enemies in the game, um, because they're literally in, in the art file they're called demos it's called enemy underscore demos underscore svg because we needed something that was just (laughs) Just not trying to kill you so much um and a big part of it is that we did most of these designs for these enemies when there wasn't also a lot of other stuff going on in the game right and so it was one of those things where we're like oh we're you know we got to fill the void with these incredible enemy constructs uh which turned out to be like actually i think all of the enemies have been toned down since they're like their initial entry into the game and the yes, canoodle is one that it's, it's very yeah. designed was not capable of being toned down with the with the resources we had at the time it requ- would require a rework essentially 
Yeah. The enemies uh, were originally designed as things that are tr- actively trying to stop you from winning. Yes. Mm-hmm. As opposed to being tools things you that use. Yeah. Things that can stop you if you come at them wrong, but are also useful tools that you can use to achieve things, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I'm not going to say what exactly we're going to do with the canoodle um, because we don't actually know yet. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, we, have a, we have a bunch of designs, so we're going to be iterating over it this week to uh, get it into a state where we can actually bring it back into the game and have it be useful. So uh, lots of stuff coming in this patch. You know, uh, each each week that passes, we'll just kind of discuss maybe like one or two things um, until it comes out. So uh, last bit of studio news is this is kind of an interesting uh, production process note, which is we, we've talked in the past about the fact that we use Trello as our as our way of handling work and managing work as it moves through the studio and stuff like that. And Trello – um, is a fantastic tool. Like it's really, really good at being the thing that it is. Yes. <laughs> right. So Trello is all about creating pieces of work and then moving them through what would you what you would call a Kanban board. So just moving them from like a state like to do, doing, done, and then That's archive it. it and get rid of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the problems start to arise when you need to see or evaluate your work in another way. So for example, as like a project, right? So because a project is actually a collection of all of these individual work elements, which we've tried to get at in some ways via Trello before, either with the tag system or with a single card that then would actually have like 50 cards in it. Um, Yeah. But that got really confusing. So there's been a couple of tries where we try to get to that. And the reason that's been more important as we get, uh, both wrapped up with level head and, and then beyond is that is that as a studio as we start juggling multiple projects at once so like leading up to level heads launch was actually really nice because it's just like there's one thing to do right you everything needs to be about getting this thing out the door and marketing it that's it just those two things so like everything else falls away who gives a shit it's fine um but when you get into the, the broader more open space uh after something like a launch where we're doing this level head update uh, we're doing a bunch of pipeline updates and a bunch of cool tech stuff. Adam is, you know, smashing botters. Like there's, there's all sorts of we're stuff doing going on. Pre-production work for the next thing mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, there's all sorts of these things happening, and it's very easy in a system like Trello to basically completely miss the forest for the trees because all you see are trees. It's like sort of you're just in there. It's just a huge pile of cards. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. we've yeah we'll be moving to Monday, which is a, a different basically production tool uh, that allows us to keep the Kanban view actually. And that's a really fun thing about it. It's kind of like how we've talked about Airtable in the past. Uh, the really powerful thing with that and the really powerful thing with Monday is this ability to view your work in a couple of different ways. So they're all still cards, uh, but then you could, you could essentially have a Kanban view that looks the same as our current one. Uh, but then you can also switch to essentially more of like a project-based view. So a grid view where it's just a huge list of all the stuff you can bracket it by, you organize them almost like into folders based on like project. And you can make dashboards with graphs to kind of summarizing the hours exactly. that need to be worked and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So once we get through production meeting, for example, mm-hmm. we'll be able to actually flip over to a dashboard and say, does everyone have 40 hours assigned this week? Uh, or is someone way over or someone way under? And then actually figure that out as far as what needs to be done as opposed to right now we're like, this looks basically – looks like a good amount of work. Yeah. And it's just Maybe. based on like this verticality of the cards, right? There's enough cards yeah. in here. It's a lot uh, of cards. 
Um, yeah, well, and also with um, with Trello, we we merged everything into one board, which we call the Megazord, um, because we had the problem of of kind of like what you were talking about, Sam. Of like in in Trello, if you want to have a different project, usually what you do is you'd make a whole new board, mm-hmm. right? And then like you do all the things in that board, and then when the project is done, you close the board. Um, but this kind of works against one of the core problems with being a person, which is as a person, you can really only kind of deal with one thing at a time. Uh, and if you have to consciously remember to move between projects to check on what's happening in them, then you will tend to just forget to do that. Well, not even that. You can't prioritize things. You can't prioritize you have, you have, yeah. pa- everything's in parallel, and so you can't – you can't ask which one of these is supposed to happen first because they're just in different places, right? Yep. Right. So as a person, if you're straddling three different domains, like let's say maybe we have like a, a studio operations and business board for like general business admin. We have a level head board and we have a web dev board. Um, so Adam, as the web developer and also one of the owners of the studio, is going to have tasks on all three of those boards. And so when he comes into work in the morning and he says like, hey – what should I be doing now? Uh, his first move is to then look at all three of those boards. Figure out what's the highest priority on that board and then between those three boards, figure out which one of those is actually the highest priority. Yeah, right. That. So he's basically exhausted and needs a nap by 9.15 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, because there's just too much thought work that has to go in. So, so something like Monday uh, allows us to like um, have multiple projects all in the same board that you can then – merge together into different views and stuff like that. And so you can essentially create your own interfaces for handling mm-hmm. the work the way that you need to do it. There's also an inboxing problem if you fragment your systems, you know, per in a per project basis or whatever. Um, because then if someone if someone realizes that a piece of work needs to be done, they want to give it to you. They have to now fully understand what your interactions are and what your like systems are for managing your mm-hmm. work. So like if which boards are you on? Which ones do you check? Which one is relevant to the thing that I need you to do, right? Versus being able to just to make a card and be like, I know this person will have this. like, and, and knowing what information needs to be put on it to cause it to be seen and cause it to go into the workflow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, having, having everything in one it's, – it's that, it's that thing. You know, having everything in one place is, is actually what you need to be able to do. And having everything in one list is what you need to be able to do. But you also need to be able to look at subsets of that in a very clean – useful way yeah. so that you can understand your work better. So, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's what we get. Um, so we'll be making that switch, uh, this week and we're pretty excited. It also has a really potent API. So we're going to yeah. be able to, to, to attach it to our automated build pipeline and all kinds of stuff. Um, so that's, that's going to be super exciting. Yeah. I'm um, now the one downside, and this is just a, a caveat for those who are listening and thinking like, Oh, I want to switch over to Monday. It is worth noting that, as I mentioned, like Trello is really, really good at being a Kanban board, mm-hmm. right? Monday is not as good at being a Kanban board because it's a more, it's a more flexible all-purpose tool. So, so if you switch over to Monday and want to use it exactly like Trello, it's going to be a little bit more cumbersome, mm-hmm. right? It's going to be a little bit more awkward because it's not, it's not meant to exactly do what Trello does. It's more of a zoomed out, like do lots of different things kind of a tool. So, uh, very excited about this though. I, I always love these moments when we like make a big shift into some new, uh, sort of like production management paradigm. Mm-hmm. Cause it's, uh, it always feels like a fresh start. Oh yeah. That's great. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> it's like, it's like a spring cleaning thing. Um, okay. Uh, and before we get on to questions, there's one little bit of industry news 
which is Terraria or Terraria, depending on whatever. Yeah, you I don't know what is. you're supposed to say. I call it Terraria. That dirt game. Uh, I call it, it Terraria. Uh, has its is this its final update or just supposedly? Ended? It's called Journey's End. The 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 box art is this kind of sad. Uh, image of this, like I don't know, sort of knight-looking character looking off into the distance, you know. Um, so, so they're sending off be, the game. Yep, it's supposed to be the final update, which is um, I, how long has it's been out for? T- t- 10, 12, 10 years. It's been out for yeah, a long. I think time. it came out in like twenty twelve, eleven. I think. Yeah, it's eleven. A, it is an old game, uh, and it's very exciting seeing it. So every time they drop one of their updates, uh, you know, everybody, everybody who has played it in the past shows back up. Right, because mm-hmm. it's it's got an interesting sort of replayability to it, which we've been discussing at the studio a bit, which is that because it's complicated enough, and especially I think in Terraria, because you collect so much stuff and you like build a house and all this, you know, hopping back into the same character takes basically the same amount of work as starting a new one because you have to re-remember where the hell everything is that you put, yeah, like what lot. you got, where, <laughs> and so it actually it's just as fun instead of hopping back in to basically restart and to get I think a fresh it's more start. Fun. I think it's yeah, more, it's more fun, fun and less stressful just to start over and have nothing than to be like, yeah. oh God, where where is every what was I doing? Yeah. What is and all so, this stuff that I have? Terraria is very good at, at that at the fact that like the the journey, literally the journey in Terraria is is the fun part. Um yeah. so yeah, you might build a house, you might collect everything, but it's somehow just as fun to be like, fuck all that and just start back over. Um, which I think is a really incredible achievement. And so when you look at their updates though. It is always so fun because they dunk – they wait like a year, sometimes two, They're three They're always free years. updates. They're not DLCs. Yep. And then they just like – It's basically a whole new game with as much stuff as they make. They added a thousand yeah. items. What? Like that's how many this items Crash Lands has. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is their biggest patch. Um, yeah. Although it also took them just as long to put that many items in as it took us to make Crash Lands. So – Right. You know, I mean, it makes right. sense because it's about it to make sense. Sense. <laughs> yeah. um, It's, it's a, a lot thousand of things. And yeah, so it's – uh, it's always really fun to see because they just sort of like dunk all this stuff on and then to see what the the, the community response is. Um, mm-hmm. And so the fantastic one, if you look at their if you look at their like concurrent user chart uh, via Steam, they had a peak of like a half a million people. Yeah, they were number three in the Steam top concurrency charts. Which is – Behind CSGO and like uh, what? Dota or something. But yeah. behind free games, right? That's, that's yeah. the truth, right? 500,000 uh, people simultaneously just playing this game. What? Yeah. The scale of this thing is kind of unfucking imaginable, honestly. Like they knocked just, down the wiki, which makes sense because I saw – because if you played – anybody who's out there listening who's played Terraria, you know that part of playing Terraria is having, having the wiki, wiki looking for things, mm-hmm. right? And, it's uh, like uh, it's like how you need spreadsheets to play Eve Online. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly that. <laughs> and and I know. And, and for so my wife and I were playing it. And it's been long enough since the last time we did that we've already kind of forgotten a bunch of stuff that we and we're like, oh yeah, how do you do this thing again? You know. So and and then also we were finding new things. So we were like, ooh, does this do anything? Like I found. I'm still excited about dragonflies because I found dragonflies in an oasis in the desert. I don't know what they're for, but they came in different colors, which I was like, this is interesting. There must be <laughs> some reason, you know. I don't know. And so I went to the wiki because that's what I would normally do, and it's just 503, 503, 503. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll just, co- I'll just collect these for now and then like come back to the wiki when it's not being completely destroyed, <laughs> only to then finally get into it and discover that everybody right, knows what dragonflies yeah. are for <laughs> because everyone is sharing this experience together, which is then like in its own way very fun. Yes. Yeah, so, and the wiki has been down the whole time anyway. So even if somebody did figure it yeah, out, how they can they put it up, up there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Terraria was a big part yeah. of, uh, of the inspiration for the original Crashlands too. So uh, so I think if 
when uh, if, if people are looking for a fun crafting game or just something to go uh, visit, if you haven't played Terraria yet, it's a it's a trip. It has a very rough onboarding in that there is none. So yeah. definitely like get a guide or something to get you through the first like hour or two because otherwise you're going to just quit. Or play it with a friend maybe with a friend so you can best. collaborate on – just use the wiki and, and try to play with a friend if you can. But it is, it is still – it is one of my favorite games of all time. It's a good one. Yeah. We, we, before we record the podcast, we were discussing this, this interesting model of, of – there were a whole bunch of um, like crafting and open world games around that time, like between 2009 and 2015, um, where the whole, the whole concept of the game is you're just – you just start in the wilderness, the end. That's as far as they go to explain what's happening or what you're supposed to do or how to do anything. And we've joked in the past about like Minecraft's uh, N-shaped pants problem, right? Of like they don't tell you that you're supposed to like lay out materials in the shape of an upside down U or lowercase mm-hmm. N to make pants. Um, people just somehow – Figured that out and, and then put it up in a wiki. It. Yeah, yeah, and so Terraria, it's from 2011 ish, I guess. So like, it's it very much adheres to that design philosophy of just just uh, put the player the in the wilderness. Now. You're in the woods now. Deal with it. Yeah, so, good luck. Uh, but yeah, very good game, very popular. Definitely check it out, especially with a uh, with the current surge of activity. It's probably a fun time. To yeah, you get, get to be part of the hype, you know, of the yeah. of it coming back. All right, so we're gonna get on to some questions. All right, these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. The highest upvoted question comes from Flyhoppy Axe Rompa. A while ago, we were promised limited <laughs> we <were> promise. <laughs> I was thinking CSS eyes got huge. Oh god. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I try to never promise things, so I hope mm. this isn't true. But uh, a while ago, we were promised limited run T-shirts. I have not had a chance to throw money at you in exchange for you throwing a limited run T-shirt at me. Any ideas when I will have this opportunity? Mm. Uh, so I think I think we've we've moved away from the T-shirts. Um, I don't I don't know the exact. Well, this details. is a well. So this is a two-parter. So so before launch, we were still looking into we were, we were getting ramped up to to potentially do it post-launch, depending on how things went, right? Yeah. Uh, however, that became basically impossible because our our work, or the shop that we used to do it was closed because of COVID. Yeah. Right? Yeah, there's been some right. uh, So that kind of couldn't... Yeah, so that kind of just kind of couldn't happen. And then, but we, we were still kind of like, we were still talking to their team and, and like making some tentative plans for that. And then the game came out and it did... And, it, and like we, we have a lot of players, but it's not the it's not still the the number of players you need to We're like super confident that we could sell like a ton of t shirts. Yeah, um, but even more so, than that, the 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 wind the timing of these things is really important, right? Yeah, because you want to be it's able to very hit it. important. You want to be able to put that thing up at the same time that there's a lot of stuff going on, and of course the hype. launch window is where this is, and we we actually won't be able to do it during the launch window, even if we wanted to, yeah, because, because of, of the COVID nineteen stuff. Yep. So it's we're kind of yeah. in a weird spot with it, where it's like, by I mean, the time we can, it's will it be it likely? Not yeah, yeah, it's yeah. likely not worth doing because there's there's high overhead to this stuff. And the nice thing with the limited run and the reason that we were talking about it is that we'd have to hold inventory. We can partner with somebody else, um, and uh, and so the the overall just and, and then it happens over a short period of time, so we don't have to then now manage a shop or anything like that. And so the overall uh, cost of doing it in the long term is is you know way 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 lower. Uh, but it doesn't remove the overhead of doing it in the first place because we still have to do all the, the negotiations with uh, with the team who's going to do all the work. 
they still have to do all the work. Um, we still have to, we have to collect information, we have to figure out designs and send designs and review stuff and get some samples and make sure everything is fine. There's just a lot that has to happen, and and so that overhead has to be like, likely to be worth it, right? And not in the <laughs> yeah. sense that like we're trying to make money hand over fist because it's never really likely with merchants. We sales. shouldn't lose money on it. But we shouldn't lose money. That on would it. be that would be less good. Yeah. And 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 on the whole, I think we've already talked about this in the podcast, but we we definitely lost money on our 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 cumulative prior merch experience has, yeah. has been a, has been a net uh, loss. Yeah. I still want to try it with this. I'm just, I, yeah, I don't know if, if by the time we're able to do it, if it'll make any sense to do. So yeah, we'll just but maybe, out. you know, maybe yeah. by the time the update comes out. Um, so we kind of, if we yeah, can get we can some new excitement, um, and that goes well, bring people back. So people are excited again. And then maybe we'll be post COVID enough that we can actually get a t-shirt run. Yeah. So, so we're not, we're not ruling it out. No. But at the moment, at the moment, no, at the moment we are, <laughs> yeah. but we're not ruling it out forever. Not permanently. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the world is in a strange place right now. Yep. Uh, all right. Next question comes from PS7 Cho. Reading a release announcement article, at the bottom it has a few lines about who you as a studio are. And it mentioned you focus on cross-platform irreverent games. Is this something you coined or a title placed upon you? So I think the funny thing here is that there should be a comma in there, like cross-platform – as one adjective, <laughs> comma, irreverent as another adjective, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, as in the games are both irreverent and also cross-platform. But without the comma, they it's are now cross-platform much. irreverent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They you know what that means. Pla- pla- <laughs> yeah. We're so, basically the PlayStation of, of uh, studios. <laughs> right. So it, something being irreverent basically means like it doesn't take things seriously that it's supposed to take seriously, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or that like everybody else would take seriously. It's kind of like the tongue-in-cheek um, s- sense of humor or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like the idea of – cross-platform irreverent, <laughs> but I don't actually know what that means. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think uh, to the... It doesn't likely describe what we do, I don't think. Probably. Well, to, to yeah. the point of the... Uh, if you put it... If you have a comma between them, Seth, um, to actually have the cross-platform slash irreverent gaming experiences, uh, do you think that's actually a descriptor of the stuff that we're aiming to do? Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure we describe that. So, so one of the things that we always have to do anytime we put put our studio up somewhere in some context is include some sort of a description, right? Or like a byline or whatever. And over our uh, seven, eight, seven years, whatever it's been, um, we have had Almost many. Eight. Yeah, we've had many of those. And mm-hmm. uh, and it's very likely that that particular line is in one of them somewhere, <laughs> but I don't yes. know. That's, we, we probably wrote that. We probably wrote that. Would be my one point. of us probably wrote that. Um, but yeah, I mean, our, we we do try to take an irreverent angle on all of our games, which is like we I, I like to think that we make self aware games. Yeah, like the game itself knows it's a game and doesn't really uh, take itself super seriously, which is kind of where that that irreverence comes from. Uh, and of course, they're cross platform because they just are. <laughs> uh, so yeah, all right. Next question comes from Quantum Anomaly, who says, "When building a new enemy, which comes first, the name?" Or the mishmash of squiggly lines that becomes the robot drone creature thing. Mm. So we could kind of zoom out a little bit and yeah. and talk about just like making a new thing that you're going to interact with or that's going to exist in the game, period. Because enemies aren't sort of – they aren't really unique in terms of how we approach They're them. just another item, you know. Yeah. yeah. They tend to be actually um, – they're more, they're more complicated um, in the sense that 
because they they, move they, around. they'll have states. Yeah, they have states that the animations go with them. And so the total amount of work that has to go into an enemy is orders of magnitude higher than what has to go into a static item or like a, a switch or something like that in the case of Levelhead. Um, just because of that, the animation states and the need for these things to feel lively, right? Uh, we actually did. So I've been we've been doing a bunch of process uh, sort of process work in, in keeping the we talk about making the work visible in terms of DevOps. So when it comes to the art, really trying to break down the whole process and see where things take the longest. Uh, and animation is the longest piece of the whole thing. So with that in mind, you know, recognizing again, recognize that that's the bottleneck. Uh, what we've what we've decided to do and sort of how we approach this now is that actually we spend a, a lot more time now in the prototyping phase. Um, than we used to. So in the case, I think it's really funny actually to look back at something like Crashlands and then all the way up to now with Levelhead in terms of the difference. So we were just talking about this the other day because in Crashlands, uh, we would say, oh, I don't know, like we need an, we need an enemy that just like jumps around and stomps on players, right? Uh, so usually what, what happens first is you have a design need, which is, hey, there's this thing we need. Uh, we need a creature in particular to fill it. It needs to do this. Um, in the past, what would happen is that Seth and I at the same time so Seth would start making that go, and then I would make the art simultaneously. So when the art actually was finished, is also usually around the same time when the technically what was a prototype was finished, uh, which is and then we just kind of happening independently. Kind of, yes, yeah. So then, so then we would fuse them together, resolve the differences and all the things that we didn't talk about, which and is. Ho- and, by the way, <laughs> always a lot of things. Like no matter what, even if you're talking about a, simple, a quote unquote simple item. Uh, there's a lot of baked in assumptions and especially as a game gets as complex as my level head. Oh my God. Like the, the total number of things you have to keep in mind, like the total number of constraints on items is actually absolutely tremendous uh, in terms of what you need to be thinking about while you make them. So, and especially for things like enemies, since they move yes, around, they are the worst yeah. and interact with things. Yeah. Uh, and so, so when it comes to that process, then in, yeah, in Crashlands days, it was basically parallel and then you did this sort of diff where where we then would literally argue with each other because now both of us have actually it done – It was messy. Yeah, both of us it have actually done – It was a merge done, conflict. <laughs> yeah, literally a merge conflict. Was, we've done what, what was supposed to be all the work and then suddenly for one of us, this is not going to be all the work or sometimes for both of us because uh, one of – I'd have to go change the yard or Seth would go change some about the programming to make it fit. Um, and so – or, or you know, it would be like, oh, there's like there's too many parts on this. You know, this is like this enemy is too CPU intensive. You need to like – cement its ears onto its head so I don't have to wiggle yeah, them around. Which then, which then, of course, begs the question of like, if there are limits on parts, why didn't that come up before? <laughs> yeah. It's because <laughs> no, there was no sketch. It. There was no idea of how yeah. it moved and stuff. And so now what we do, uh, it's it's funny because it feels slower, but in reality, um, in reality, in terms of a studio output, it is way faster. It's like test-driven development, right? It's like, yeah, it's slower to have to do the extra work up front of having a test. Yes. But now that you have a test... Every debugging moment downstream is infinitely faster. Yeah. So, and so in the moment, it feels worse, but it, yeah, it's way better. Yeah, so my goal is basically when the, when the art is done, that it is done. And that, that means that, that Seth, there's no surprises left over as far as how it's put together. That was yeah. also your goal previously. It's just it was in the absence of, of, of caring what, how, it, how it ended up in the game. Right? Yeah, that was the, like, the previous one was sort of a deal with it version of that. Which yeah. is, I'm, it was actually that I am done with the art. Yeah, I have made this. Yeah. I'm done now. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't the art was so that I'm done. And so, yeah. uh, so now what it looks like actually is it's a way more collaborative process with a lot of check-ins. So when it comes to an enemy design or an item or whatever else, uh, we always start with just a prototype. 
Um, and that's Seth does whatever art he wants in terms of making. Usually it's a usually it's a square that blinks. Uh, it's an enemy. It always blinks though. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's an item, then it's usually a square that has the necessary components for him to be able to sort of turn off and on to make it clear that you could get feedback from it while you're playing with it to know what it's doing. Um, we start with that. He tweaks it a bunch, uh, gets the programming essentially to a place where where it feels good to utilize already without any extra bells and whistles. And then we review it. Sometimes I'll take it down and play with it, uh, come back with some notes once that's baked. And so we're like, okay, cool. This is good. Um, then only and only then uh, do we actually start the sketching phase. So with that, then we talk about, okay, so here's – given how this thing seems like it operates and given the universe we're in, the holes in the enemy group as a whole, uh, what do we want to do with this? What could be fun? And this is also something we never really did very effectively before. And I think I think it comes through a bit in terms of like while a lot of the designs for creatures and stuff like that in Crashlands and to a degree, some of them in uh, in Levelhead, while well, a lot of them I th- I'm happy with, like they're fun, um, they don't always have opinions about what they're what they're doing, who they are, right? Uh, they're good pieces of art, but they don't have a lot of that coming through. And so what we try to do now is actually really like just take – it's usually 10 minutes of sort of an improv session of just like what is this and why is it here? How did this happen that this is a thing, right? Uh, Give in it the a bureau, story. Yeah, basically what's the story and the and the story concept. And the reason you do that is, again, so you actually have more constraints because you need to know what the fuck this thing is before you – because like otherwise it literally is just squiggles on paper. Um, yeah. So we go through the story. We sort of chat about it and then I'll run off, uh, grab some references based on that thing for like, oh, what if it was kind of like – what if it like was trying to bite you or if it kind of looked like a bee or something weird? I don't know. Um, do some sketches of those references and then do a couple of sketches of what the thing could look like. Uh, again, at that point, we review it. Say, hey, does this structure seem like it would work given everything? So it's actually it's it's both the art and technical team. Then so it's Seth and I, um, who just say, I'm like, this is the one that I like the most. Would this? Could we make this work? And then usually that's the point where Seth's like, well, yes, but you'll need to bust this off, or actually no, because it has to do this one extra thing that you're not thinking about right now. And so we just do this like multiple times, right? Um, and after that, then we do animation keyframes. I'm like, okay, here's how it's going to move. Here's how all the stuff's going to work. Again, review it. Uh, again, make updates and changes. And then finally, after it's usually like a four to six hour process, end to end, uh, then you say, okay, it's ready to build, right? And then we move those sketches over uh, into something like Inkscape, to flesh it all out, make it look really cool, uh, adding additional frames for in-betweens and stuff like that that need to make it look really punchy and fun. And then it's done. And then it's hopefully actually done. It doesn't cause and it, any problems. And it starts off with a code name, which is basically functional, so you can talk about it, right? Yep. Yeah. So the like, name comes usually very last. Yeah. Yes. Which is a bit annoying because that means its name in the code is different than its name. Its variable names have nothing <laughs> to do okay. with the actual name of the thing. What's, um, the, what's the most uh, the most ridiculous discrepancy in the game currently that you can think of between the final the, name and the the super dude was called a twist goose. I'm pretty sure. Which is, it was called a Twist Goose. Twist Goose is still uh, really good. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, almost everything in the code of Levelhead does not match the name of the thing. Yeah. Um, so, or sometimes I would update all the code to match the name, and then we would change the name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're, we were laughing because actually the, the Spike Trons are just called Hazard. 
Yep, right. Which is yeah. like in the art, was, in the uh, for the art. It export. was the first hazard we had. It was just called hazard. Uh, and that's. I'm pretty sure cannons were called cannon projectiles were called uh, hazard underscore projectile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those were yeah. the cannonballs. Um, yeah, so things things especially early in the game's development, um, things start really generic. And we were, we were laughing about uh, in Roid Rage actually, the asteroids. In the code are called O underscore bad thing. Yep. And, and uh, these asteroids the ju- that don't do anything. They just. Yeah, they're yep. bad things. They're just bad and things. And the uh, juice that you pick up is just called O underscore good thing because <laughs> it's the good thing that you get. Because uh, the, the core premise of the game was like, I don't really know what's happening in this game other than you are trying to not hit bad things and you're trying to pick up good things. Mm-hmm. And the spaceship was called O underscore fly guy. Because I was like, I don't know, it's like a guy, maybe. It is flying, probably. Which is so. hilarious. Because if, you think, <laughs> if you think about like what, what a person from the outside would think would happen for like the development of Roid Rage. is like somebody would say, ooh, we should make a game where you dodge asteroids to like collect stuff or whatever, right? And, that, and that's your premise. And, and this wasn't that at all. Like that, there was no – there was just like you should have a thing that dodges other things to get things. But this, is, then, like, this is how it should feel. Yeah, and then the question came later is like, now where could we put this where that would make any sense? Yeah, what are what are Which the things? Space. Yeah, but again, this this you know this is kind of the core concept of the uh, GDC talk I gave, which is the design by chaos. Uh, sometimes people refer to it as like gameplay first development, which is don't worry about the story, don't worry about the characters, don't worry about anything. Just make something that on its own is fun and engaging and interesting, and. And then you just kind of like listen to the opinions that it has about how it feels and think like, what what fits with this? Like what just sort of naturally fits with these kinds of mechanics or this overall vibe um, that you can layer in on top as a visual or as a, as a story, right? And so, yeah, that's where, like, that's where most of our, our individual enemies came from uh, in, in uh, Levelhead and all that stuff. Actually, the pop jaws were originally moles. Mm. Remember, they would like they would like dig into the ground. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. But when I say moles, I mean uh, brown squares. Yeah, so that was your <laughs> part. Yeah, yeah. And so they were originally thought to be like digging enemies, and they would dig in and, and emerge. But that made them kind of uh, boring because they can't get you unless you're standing on the ground because yeah. they dig right. And Although so going like, back to the earlier part of our conversation about not having enough boring enemies. Um, it actually probably would have been a great enemy to have is one that only kills you when you're on the ground. True. Well, it was boring <laughs> in the wrong way. It was uh-huh. boring in the wrong way and that most of the time it just didn't even matter that it existed because it just yeah. – it would like – it would try to get close to you but it couldn't. So it would just like emerge just somewhere over there, right? <laughs> um, and so then we had the conversation of like, well, I mean digging in one place and emerging somewhere else is is just teleporting. Yep. Just, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's just make it do more of a teleport thing. And so, that, well, that was the extra question. The next question was like, what else bursts out of something to get you? And we were like, chest well, great white sharks. Sharks. Also chestbursters. But yeah, great yeah. white sharks come flying into the ocean. So let's just do that. Just do that. So then, it, of course, it ended up with a teleporting belt medallion that it sucks its whole body into. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, just you your gotta, natural. You got to do some hand waving here and there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, next question comes from Butterscotch Atheist who says, Seth, a while ago, you mentioned to save time and energy in law school, you made and ate one meal for a whole year. <laughs> what was it? 
To be fair, it wasn't it wasn't one meal made at once. Yeah, like it, it was, was, one, was one recipe. Yeah. One recipe. Uh, so this is particularly relevant nowadays <laughs> because because I've gone I've gone back to this. I mean, I'm still eating other things now, but. But having a consistent and reliable and easy to prepare home cooked meal um, that hits like most of your nutritional uh, benchmarks is a really nice thing to have. Oh, yeah. So, so this meal was in law school at the time. It was uh, it was pasta. So I'd get like you know your your small noodles. I don't like I don't I like spaghetti flavor wise, but the long ass noodles no. I got to like, cut them up. Yeah, I don't need that in my life. I'm so basically I get the, a toddler. I have to all my food has to be cut up in small pieces before I can eat it. So, yeah. <laughs> I think that's true of everyone. It's just some people are too proud, you yeah. know, to admit it. So instead they'll put they'll dunk their fork in and then they like twist it around for 45 minutes trying to get all the noodles and then eventually they just have a giant 40-pound ball of spaghetti on the end of a metal <laughs> the whole stick. Plate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh so it's just like pasta sp- uh marinara sauce or like tomato sauce. Um, I had a uh, beef at the time. Now I don't eat meat really anymore. So now I get like the fake, fake meat, but it taste comes out tasting pretty similar. Uh, and then I would get veggies of some kind. So you get like tomatoes, uh, onions, green peppers, you know, chop those up, throw them in there, make yourself a really nice sauce. And then you've got, you've got it, right? Like you've got your carbs, you've got your veggies, you've got your proteins, yeah, and if you're trying to go light on the carbs, one pro tip is to use uh, like those weird chickpea or lentil noodles. That's what my wife and I have been eating. Those are and good. Like, they taste great. And also yeah. they're mainly – they're just not so carb heavy. And so actually you'll eat a bowl of pasta, like that that sort of pasta where like it just has everything in it. And then you're just like, I feel incredible instead of being <laughs> yeah. like, I need a nap, right? Which is always yeah. what happened to me before. Yeah, we actually now, – my wife and I were joking about this yesterday because we are trying to decide what to have for – for dinner and Jenny was like, I just want just some vegetables. And I was like, Oh, do you want a, you want a burger too to throw in there? And she's like, no, nah, I just want vegetables. I'm like, these are veg- like, we only have veggie burgers. <laughs> so they, they are vegetables. She's like, you oh, are yeah, eating vegetables. That's true. <laughs> and uh, so we had some veggie burgers. It was fucking great. <laughs> felt, felt great afterwards. Um, yeah. They're not as heavy, which is nice. Yeah. We do that a lot too. We, we have a, we have a, nowadays we have a freezer full of veggie burgers. And so we're just like, you know, if, if I'm not feeling like doing anything elaborate for cooking or whatever, just throw those on the, Oh yeah, but that's now my go-to. So it's just yeah, it's like eight minutes, and you got it's so good. And I throw um, an egg on top with the runny egg yolk. There's one stuff. other thing, which is so since since law school, my recipe has changed in several ways. Um, one of which is is I now put a shit ton of garlic and red chili powder in there. Yeah, yes, because I've learned from Indian cooking that garlic is that the key. that that is how you make f- all food. Much more delicious, mm-hmm. uh, but if you're a Midwesterner, you know you gotta you gotta start light on the chili powder. <laughs> Ease into the spices, you know. Yeah, uh, you don't want it to be. But I, I've reached the point now where I'm just like I'm just I'm just dunking like a handful of chili powder in there, and it's just I get I now nowadays I just get the flavor and not the burning, you know, mm-hmm. which is pretty mm-hmm. nice. Um, all right, next question comes from Fraser, who says. How did you transition from just dumping your games on platforms like the rest of us, plebs, to <laughs> that's what he said, uh, to engaging with platform featuring and other special stuff? So mm. what's the what's the move to go from just like quote putting it out there 
to actually launching it with featuring and stuff. Yeah, I, th- I think there's there's two. So one is one is that it starts at the outset to a degree with the development, which is you have to have the intention when you start to do it that way because uh, it's not it's the sort a of thing. Process. It's a long process, and it needs to happen alongside dev. And that's not to say it doesn't actually take that much time. Uh, is the weird part. Like yeah, if you look, you're at just waiting a lot. Yeah, it's actually a lot of waiting. And so uh, what's really important there is that you you recognize or find one or two places that you're trying to get something out of, uh, whether it's like, oh, I'm on itch. Can I get featured on itch? You can't, by the way. You just like, you just ask them. We've done it before. We did it with Levelhead's demo. I sent them a tweet. I was like, hey, we got this game coming. Can you guys like put it on the front? And they're like, sure. Um, Although uh, for that though, it's easier because we have 23,000 followers on our Twitter. Oh yeah. 100%. There's a certain level of cred. Yeah. Well, there's cred, but there's, there's credibility that comes with you, but there's also credibility that comes with the game, right? So yeah. if your game looks like a, you know, a shit piece for lack of a better term, then like, it's going to be hard for anybody to, to, if like, your game has no trailer, no box art and no website, then you have already given up on, <laughs> yes. on, on trying to get this game and like, uh, to be marketable. Yeah, and don't right? tell me that it's too hard. Cause if you can make a game, I just don't believe you that you can't use Wix to put together yeah. a website in like Well, and, and there's another there's another kind of there's another layer to this, which is like a lot of times people will make a game as a hobby, like as a as a side project. And once it's done, then they want to market it, right? And the problem is like marketing a game does take money because if like if you're gonna make a trailer, at the very least, you're probably gonna need to get a license for some kind of video editing software mm-hmm. if you're gonna do it yourself. Um you're gonna have to get music from Somewhere. From somewhere potentially, so but, might, but you might do get some you know free music since that you might be able to get some of that out there. Um, and if, when it comes to box art, you know, not everybody has the artistic chops to create really good box art, so you so might, might have to hire somebody, find an artist, and have them have them do that. And and I, I think it's it's one of those things that I think it's like it's like an uncomfortable um, side of talking about this stuff, which is you can make a game for really really cheap. In terms yeah, of not money. in terms of time, but in terms of it's expensive in time to make a, a good game, but but you can make it. You can get a, a game maker license for a hundred bucks. Yeah, we're and talking from a hobbyist perspective because if you're doing it as a business, it's never cheap to make a game because you have to pay correct. people the whole time. Right. So, yeah. yeah. If you're just doing this on your own time with your own license, um, you can get like a mid tier computer and a, a game maker license or like an Unreal. If you you get Unreal Engine, I think it's free, right? Yeah, it's free unless um, you make a million until bucks. you start making money, right? Um, so making the game is is cheap, and I think people want that to also continue to be true about selling the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but there there is a financial gate. Well, there's a, a reality, which is that if you start selling the game, you're no longer actually being a hobbyist. And so if you treat the selling of it the same way you did the building yeah, of it, making which of is it, yeah. as a hobby, then it that's just what's going to happen. So I think like yeah, yeah when you when you, you have to recognize that if you're going to do that and like really make that transition. Um, then you have to approach both the development of it and then the, the marketing of it with that whole thing in mind. So whether that's, you know, participating in really simple low-level stuff, like participating in Screenshot Saturday things, whatever else. Like there's, there's ways to make it so that you can build up some or send something to a person of influence that has a bit of credibility marked on it. Like if you, you know, if you participate in Screenshot Saturdays or something and you get, I don't know, one of your, your posts gets uh, retweeted or picked up in one of those uh, like weekly kind of articles about it. You could literally take that and then use that as part of your pitch to, uh, you know, someone at, at Google or, or Steam or whatever else. Say, hey, you know, I'm working on this game. I'm going to be putting it on Steam at this time. Uh, 
I was wondering if, you know, I was wondering, just wanted to like let someone know about it or talk to someone about it uh, at Steam, let them know this is happening. Um, being able to articulate how your game is different from other games that are already on the platform is also really big, which of course literally gets harder every day because there's bajillions of games coming out every day <laughs> yeah. in your genre all the time. Um, and so that's, that's the really tricky one, which is how you maintain a differentiated angle all the way through. And something we've always struggled with. We've talked about with crashing, talked about Levelhead. Um, but I think being able to, to say that you both, you have something that is credible and then that you, uh, you have something that is unique in some degrees uh, is how you get that conversation going. And then it's just playing this game of trading up. So it's, oh yeah, here, here's this, here's a link to the tweet that has like, you know, 150 likes on it or whatever from Twitter. Um, that's like enough of a little bit of cred to maybe get you something on, on a, I don't know, get like a, get someone to actually pay attention to your email or your LinkedIn request or something like there's, you, it doesn't take too much, but you have to have something to show that this is yeah. not just like a non-starter basically. Yeah. And so, so it, it may also be the case that like, you don't feel that you have the context necessary to um, be able to reach out to those platforms or, or I mean, you definitely try don't. to, it's not even that you don't but, feel that way. If like, if you, yeah, almost nobody does. Right. Right. And so, yeah, when you're, when you're first getting started, you just don't have that, um, that network. So, so it basically amounts to like doing, doing the work to build up credibility for the game in a variety of ways. So like Sam said, uh, community building, uh, getting box art, building a trailer, do, doing all these kinds of things. Doing the um, stuff that a professional studio would do. Yes. Right. But then, you can still do it on the cheap. You can't do it for free probably, but you can still do it relatively cheaply. Yeah. But then it, then it may just be a matter of, of finding a publisher who mm-hmm. does have the connections mm-hmm. and is able to do that. So if you look Which at- Which is its own thing. It's mm-hmm. its own thing and we have no experience with it. Uh, yeah, but uh, but looking at games, say like Stardew Valley, um, which was this one guy worked on the game for five years on his own and he did not just put it out there. He got a publisher who then uh, pushed the game and used their contacts to get it where it needed to go, right? So yeah, if I, I think I think the the big challenge with all this stuff is- People want to treat making being a game developer as a hobbyist until they're done with the game, basically. Yeah, and once they're done with the game, they want it to still be a hobby, but they want it to also succeed commercially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and there's a difficult mental transition there of saying like, I'm a business person now. I'm a professional, um, and I need to start doing research into the industry, into the market, make contacts. It's hard. And, and all of a sudden it goes from being a hobby to being a job. Yeah. Right? And also the um, weight of everything changes because when you're doing it as a hobby, you're just like, if, if it's just one you, person yeah. plays your game, that's awesome, right? If you're doing it commercially, then you need to, to make up for all the costs that you put into it in terms of your time at minimum, but also paying people and, you know, doing the whole thing. Uh, one person is not enough. You know, you like, if, if you have a thousand people, that's not enough. Um, and uh, and so the what it, what success means suddenly changes and really dramatically and so yeah. so it can feel really bad because the fact still is even after all of this stuff like yeah we, we can tell you the stuff that you have to do in the, in the sort of general sense right um, but still the outcome of that is dependent on how you do it and then your game very specifically um, and then just the realities of the market at that time um, and your ability and luck when you're trying to in, in, you know actually get your game launched. With the outcome being that for almost everybody who does this, even if they do do these things well and right and so on, it usually doesn't work. It still doesn't work out most yeah. of the time. And now, <laughs> and so now you're suddenly putting yourself in a position where you're taking a gamble. And if you can do it cheaply enough, then it may still be worth doing. But now you have to be able to you have to be prepared for the reality where 
in most cases, it's not going to work out the way that, that you dream it's going to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's really, very easy. It's very uncomfortable. It's easy once you have the finished work in hand to, I think, get, get overly hyped about how successful it should, could or should be. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's sort of the risk with, with games in particular is because they are, it is such a loud industry. And especially if you play them, like, you know that you've heard all these stories about like, oh, yeah, this person, just one person launched this game. Um, and it, it always, I think it's one of those weird industries where it, maybe we're like music too, where it seems like, it seems like you could just sort of occasionally randomly bust out. You've got your flappy birds, you know, yeah. like they're, but they this, just this, was even a com- this was a conversation we were having even before we started recording, which is just like, it's so hard to draw correlations between what, what goes into a game and what comes out of a game, you know, like, cause you do have your, uh, your, what's the game? Uh, Paragon made by Epic. Yeah. Right. Like by all accounts, this is made by a studio that creates unreal engine, the creators of Fortnite, um, it looks tons dope. of resources, yeah. you know, game looks really cool and interesting. Um, and within, what was it, like six months after launch, they were just like, all right, this unplugged. is clearly not going. And they just unplugged the whole thing and gave away all the assets. But what um, if that same game had taken them a tenth of the resources to make and run? Then maybe right. it would have been – Maybe it would have been worth it to, to hold on to it. Um, and then you, then you look at the Flappy Bird situation, which is the opposite situation, which is a dude made it over a weekend and it became so successful that he actually unpublished it because he was terrified. And he had <laughs> no fucking idea what to, what to do. Um, and there was a, there was a time where that game was so successful that a new Flappy Bird clone was hitting the app store every 20 minutes yeah. for three weeks. Right. So like if you're, <laughs> it's I, easy I guess, to I guess, see that and think, oh, like, I could, I could be one of those. That. Yeah, I could be one of those people. Yeah. Except, except uh, for every for every Flappy Bird, there are hundreds of thousands of almost exact same like people who approached it in the exact same way. Like there are at least tens of thousands. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, we, we know that we know that uh, something like two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand games come out on mobile per year, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like over the course of the past decade, yeah. How many of those have you heard of? Right. Yeah. If you look at the mobile app store, we're talking. We're talking millions and millions of games that have been launched. And oh, yeah, I mean, and this is also the case on all the all the platforms now. I was even I was laughing because we got the uh, so we were Levelhead was featured in uh, Nintendo's like indie highlights from uh, April thing that just came out last week, and it was fascinating because because you know how many titles were on there six. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know how many indie games came out on Switch last month? A lot, two hundred or something. <laughs> A lot. I know that I know that uh, nineteen games launched at the same day as us on Switch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a drop in the bucket compared to Steam, which you talked about last week. But yeah, yeah, Steam, and like I was Steam, so, we were buried immediately. Yeah, and like I was so happy that we managed to get on that damn list, like to be one of the six that people are like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, here's here's the six to really. Pay this might be to. worth looking at. Like that's that's a win, right? Yeah, um, it's crazy though. Like it's yeah. so competitive. So I, I guess I guess kind of like the zoom the zoom out here is um, is you know the question the question was like how do you go from just putting your game out there to to launching the thing um, there's a huge number of of factors here and it really is a roll of the dice every single time you know but the but the how in the very general sense is you is you turn yourself into a business person and you think yeah, of yourself yeah. as running a business and selling a product. Not 
here's this, here's my baby that I spent you know, the past two years making or whatever, but here's a commodity. I need to go out and try to figure out how to sell to somebody. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, because if you can make that switch, then you can start playing the game. Like it doesn't mean you're going to win at the game. Right. Um, but that's what you but, need to start playing that game. And it's a yeah. very, very hard switch and it's very uncomfortable. Um, but anybody can do it. It's just, it's just, uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, it's just, just as when you started learning how to make games, you had to learn a whole new skill set, right? Mm-hmm. But like making games is not the same as selling games. Not even close. That's a whole, that's a whole other, related. that's a whole other skill set. There's um, a reason there's a, there's a class of, of people called salespeople, right? Cause mm-hmm. that's, that's <laughs> right. a kind of thing that you can do that requires expertise. Right. Just being able to sell something is in, in and of itself an incredibly valuable skill set that that alone you can build a career out of. Yeah, well, and in fact, uh, like in most so. companies, most of the most of the people who are bringing the money into the company for it to operate are salespeople. Sales that's what yep. yeah, that's what they're for. Right. Um, so yeah, it's just a bit. It's a big, difficult mental shift. It's a mental so shift be, first. That's the that's the big thing, and after that, mm-hmm. it's just a bunch of work again, just like it was making a game. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we have one last real quick question. Before we end the episode, from Bam182, who says, Can you guys find toilet paper? Yes. Mm. I haven't even tried. I, guess, you know, so I haven't found it out in the wild, but what we have done is is we use. You uh, mean like a, like a tumbleweed situation? Yeah. Like just, yeah. We, we, uh, just we use Amazon around. subscribe and save for most of our house goods, including toilet oh. paper and stuff. And and I think because because our because you get a little bit of a discount for doing it, but the main thing is you don't have to think about it. You just like you just always have enough of the things that you need. But I think what they do, like I think the reason they do that, the reason they give you a discount for it, because like there's no re- like it doesn't make any sense. If anything, it's like a perk, and, the, and you should be paying for the privilege, of not having to worry about it, right? But they give you a discount, and my bet is it's because it allows them to predict to a much higher accuracy yeah, how much maybe. stuff they need. They can pre-order stuff, they can get stuff more cheaply, etc. So which I think comes along with the likelihood that that subscribe and save gets allocated before the general like mm. store does probably right and so we've been unable to buy toilet paper oh. either online or in stores but we still got our subscribe and save it came late cuz like everything's coming late yeah it came late by a few weeks but we still got it and at the same time when we look, went and looked on Amazon to try to like just see if there was toilet paper to buy there's n- there's none so so that's my pro tip is <laughs> just try to Get it come in under the radar with, uh, with these <laughs> subscribers. Yeah, so my wife and I didn't – we don't have the subscribe and save thing. We don't – we also didn't do the whole hoarding situation on, on purpose. But here's the fun part. So because because I can never remember if we need toilet paper or not, then randomly when I go to you the grocery extra. store, sometimes I buy some. So we happen to just have like enough that I'm pretty sure <laughs> – like we have like two or three extra packs or whatever. I think it's like that's so much. Goddamn yeah, it's a lot. That's that's months and months and yeah. months. So I, I did the <laughs> slow hoarding technique over the past probably slow year. Slow hoarding. Slow know. hoarding of, based on not paying attention to – we do this with onions. We have so much I do this with uh, <laughs> I do this with toothpaste. Yeah, yep. toothpaste also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, every those now things that, you actually rarely need to change and also you're just like, oh, God, I don't – Do I have that? I, am I? I don't know if I have enough of this. Yeah, I, I have like four deodorants and five toothpaste <laughs> yeah. in my closet. Because every each so of those last so long. When I go yeah. by the baking section every so often, I'm like, ooh, my low on brown sugar? And then I'm like, better get a bag. Come home. Yeah. <laughs> Got like six bags because this happens just routinely, and right? Do you have like some of those bags that's just like it, the brown sugar is all clumped up in like a hard rock? It's just, because it's just, yeah. it's just yeah. been there for six mm-hmm. years. It's a rock candy. Yeah. I mean, I, I mentioned this in the past, but like my situation was, um, 
and it was like in January when I first started hearing about about uh, the fact that nobody could find toilet paper in Wuhan, mm. in China, and like there was like hand sanitizer and toilet paper was just gone. And so as soon as I started hearing about cases going outside of China, I was like, okay, well, this is happening. So I just went and bought one extra pack. So I yep. still have it. It's right here next to me. Yeah. It's always <laughs> keep your eyes next to me. So I've got so I've got a just one reserve pack that's just on standby in case I have to go like three months without being able to find any. So <laughs> uh, so I haven't I haven't even tried to buy any in like yeah me neither. I think two or yeah, three. Yeah, I always I haven't tried to buy because we don't because we just still have some, but. Uh, but every time I go, every time I go out to get groceries, I always check just out of curiosity. I was just like, is this because it is so weird that like you, you go to the grocery store and every, there's everything is there. There's plenty of everything except toilet paper, which is completely empty. And it makes every no time sense. without fail. Although actually, it's only empty because it's empty, right? Like, although, but that's actually, <laughs> this, what's one of the interesting things about it is it doesn't, it's not completely true. I think actually it's a quantum anomaly. I think uh, it was, it was, uh, was correcting us gently, um, I think, in the Discord after the last episode we were talking about it, because the supply chain was not prepared for people shitting at home, right? That's true. Because people shit at work. Oh. And now none of them are in the office with that part of the supply chain, which is the industrial side of toilet the paper. The industrial right? two-ply, you know, yeah. sandpaper on your bone. Yeah, the, the complete garbage toilet paper. And so so they're actually – so there's a real shortage because of a supply chain issue with the difference between those two. On top of – because there is still like the, the crazy hoarding problem that's happening. Um, but there is a real shortage behind oh, the scenes. That's funny. I didn't think about that. Yeah. So it's interesting actually. Mm, there's behind a, the scenes. Behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. There, there was – there there's articles that have been coming out about how uh, how restaurants and some other places that are that are actually on that side, kind of on the, on the more – industrial is not quite the right word, but it's business to business, right? Um Who as part of their services now, since they're doing like curbside pickup only. Do they sell toilet uh, paper? But they're actually selling toilet paper and they're selling they're selling groceries and stuff because they, their supply chain is separate, right? In a lot of yep. cases from yeah. the supply chain that we use, and and so since everything is fucked, that's actually a new thing they can do is just like directly sell the stuff that they get to customers instead of. Uh, so all these restaurants are becoming like miniature grocery stores. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's really it's specialized, really very specialized grocery stores. We have toilet yeah, paper, yeah, and it's, barbecue, <laughs> right? <That's all> <laughs> it's only those Which that actually you're have gonna their need, own. You know. Yeah, because yeah. it's only those that actually have that are part of that supply chain. Because a lot of restaurants, especially small ones, just buy a grocery store, right? Hmm. Um, but the, some of the bigger ones just have their own part of the industrial supply chain. So it's hmm. weird. It's a weird, weird world we're living in. I will say though, uh, the the last actually, no, I did get toilet paper once after all this stuff went down. And what happened was, my wife and I, Sampada, we went to went to the grocery store, Schnucks. It's the local chain in this area. And we were, we were just buying, we were just there to get groceries, just getting like food and stuff. And uh, this guy came out of the back room wheeling a pallet of boxes of toilet paper, just like hundreds and hundreds of boxes of toilet paper. Mm-hmm. And, just got uh, a shipment in. And he sees us and he locks eyes with us and he goes, take some of this. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, take this before I get it to the shelves because it will be gone. Yep. And I was like, I don't know if we need it. He's like, you just don't just take one. <laughs> just take one. Trust me, you're gonna be glad that you have it. Uh, and so, so we got that was our that was our last 
purchase. <laughs> hey, man, when someone emerges from a storeroom and says, take this. A, a wise endorsement. It was yeah, very he, much a, yeah. With it's, his like, iPad. it's dangerous. It's dangerous to go alone. Uh-huh. Take this take toilet this, paper roll. <laughs> take this 12 pack of toilet paper. Um, so that, that one, that guy did us a, did us a favor. So that was nice. Um, all right. So I think that's a good spot to end it on. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster for putting the podcast together. Thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate to support the podcast, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.